1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, teaching on biblical stewardship and generosity. Uh, need to start with a couple of statements of transparency and disclosure as we talk about stewardship and generosity or giving this morning. First of all, um, it's my least favorite subject to hit on from the front on Sunday mornings. And I've wrestled with it for years on why. I think I've come to some conclusions on why. Um, I think there are some cultural reasons why. Um, I hesitate to bring it up, or at least I'm, uh, I'm prone to hesitate to bring it up. I think that we are inundated by a couple different factors. One, uh, kids' fundraisers. I mean, uh, right? So, like, our kids go to school, and we pay taxes to send them to school, and yet we are participating in fundraisers, it seems like, all year long. And if our kids aren't, somebody else's kids are. And we're constantly being asked to give to some worthy cause uh, to help children go to camp or children participate in this. Or, and so I know that just culturally speaking, um, we, get, we get a little bit tapped when it comes to being generous. Um, but, but, but even deeper than that, when it comes to the church, um, I know there are some really bad, unhealthy examples out there that uh, for the vast majority of us, we've, we've had enough of. And, uh, and, 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 and you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, wealthy ministries getting wealthier. Um, uh, a lot of this happens on TV. Um, some of it happens in, you know, in live settings um, where you look and go, when is enough enough? And, and so I'm always hesitant. And I know, too, that um, the last thing we want to do is come to church and be guilted into giving more money. So there are a number of reasons why I hesitate. But as I've said over the last couple of weeks specifically, um, when it comes up in the text, we have a choice. We can skirt around it and go somewhere else, or we can address it. And more importantly, allow it to address us. And so in both of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth, first and second, he ends in stewardship and generosity. So um, so I felt like this would be a good time for us to, to address it. Um, on sermons like today, I primarily read scripture and just let the Bible teach. So that way, in the end, if you don't like it or you're frustrated, um, you can both, mostly be frustrated with the word of God and not, and not me. Um, and that's probably a cop out on some level. Um, but, but I want to start with a couple of things. One, we're going to, um, you've got your sermon notes there if you want to take those out. Um, we're going to start with a couple of things. There's, there's some, some biblical principles up front that I'm not going to necessarily go over. Um, I'll just hit a few of them that are true when it comes to God's word and instruction on stewardship. Um, I think it's important. Um, there are a lot of debates in the church about stewardship, about the tithe, about how much should we be giving? Should we do general fund giving? Should we do designated giving? Okay. Today, we're not going to really address the debate. We're simply going to open up to First and Second Corinthians and see what God's word would say to us on stewardship and generosity. Um, so just to begin with, um, the Bible is clear. Genesis 1, uh, who creates? God. Okay? He's the creator. Everything belongs to him. This is reiterated in Psalm 24. The earth is mine and all the people who live on the earth are mine. Okay? Now, that's a true principle about possessions. However, God allows temporary possession of things to us as people. And it's temporary because in the end, we have to give everything back, right? But for a while, while we're breathing, God allows us the possession of things. Um, all the way going back to Genesis 1, one of the purposes of man is to have dominion over the earth, implying some sense of, some sense of ownership, right? And so as you, uh, as you move through the, even the, the early Old Testament, the Ten Commandments alone illustrate this in what? We're not to covet our neighbor's possessions, right? We're not to steal somebody else's possessions and take them as our own. So we know that God grants uh, temporary possession of things. 
When you, when you read the Bible and you look for, okay, God, why do you allow, what purposes are behind you allowing us to temporarily manage or steward possessions here on earth, you get, you get a couple of really clear categories. The first one is this. You are given temporary possession of resources, things, finances to provide for yourself and your family. It's very clear. Uh, this must have been an issue in Thessalonica. If you read First and Second Thessalonians, you're going to see this command to quit being lazy and to work hard with your hands, making sure you take care of yourself so that you're not a burden to other people. We, we see clearly that there is an instruction to God's people that he gives us things to supply for our needs. This is even part of the Lord's prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread. However, that comes with uh, it comes with a warning that we not hold on too tightly to the things that God blesses us with and to not worship the creation above or before the creator himself, which we're prone to do. Now, um, there's, there's some beautiful instruction. First Timothy 4, um, first part of 1 Timothy 4 talks about how all things given by the Lord are to be received and to be enjoyed. So we know that he gives us possessions to supply for our needs, even that we might enjoy as parents, we love for our children to enjoy the good gifts that we give. Our Heavenly Father wants us, as God's people, without guilt, to enjoy the way he provides for us. As long as we do so with thanksgiving. A sense of gratefulness, a sense of recognizing where things come from. So God gives us temporary possession of things that we might provide well for us and our families and that we might enjoy. Um, but also that we might support God's ministry in the kingdom. This is very clear, both in Old and New Testament. Um, there's still some, some debate about, oh, is the tithe still relevant in the New Testament? Jesus only mentions it really once specifically. Um, and, 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 and so someone made the case, I think that um, you know, it seems to be more than just a tenth. It seems like they're selling everything that they have. They're, they're looking at what they can cut so that they can supply the needs of others. Very true um, in the New Testament. So you see that God has given us possessions to support and to fund the work he's doing here on earth, um, but also that God has given us possessions that we might need, meet the needs of those who don't have. Whether it's a temporary situation or a long-term situation, God has blessed some that they might help meet the needs of others. Just some very basic but true biblical principles about possessions to get us started as we move forward into 1 Corinthians. Now, uh, in addition to today, um, this is not going to be fully comprehensive on stewardship and giving. That's a really long conversation. And, uh, and so we, we're going to offer up some tools. Uh, one will be online, a, um, a stewardship budget that we've put together that is a very, very helpful tool for you and your family. If you don't have a budget, um, I encourage you. This is, this is the beginning of stewardship. Um, even if you do, check ours out. It might have some features on it that would be helpful to you in terms of projection and making sure you're not missing things. Um, but that's just something we want to offer to you in addition to counseling. If you find yourself uh, in a situation where you're struggling in, in terms of stewardship and you want to have a lengthier conversation, please let us know. Um, myself, staff members, our elders um, are, are fantastic godly men who steward well their finances. And I encourage you to, to let us know and, and set up a time that we can meet with you and talk about how things are going and help you possibly get back on track financially. All right. 
So now what we're going to do is we're going to move into 1 Corinthians 16, the end of of this first letter to the church in Corinth, and then we're going to go to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians and pick up the same topic. And so we're going to start in verses 1 and 2 of 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So little backstory. Um, the, Paul was a, um, was, was, was a catalyst in, uh, in networking finances between churches. And so he's referring to um, the church saying, you guys continue collecting. It was called the collection for the saints. So the saints being the people of God. So it was collected from the saints for the saints. Collected on the first day of every week, just as you should. Continue to commit to that. That when I get there, we won't have to do a huge fundraiser to support the churches or the God's people who maybe are struggling right now. Primarily here, talking about Jerusalem. And so he's saying, you just continue to do that, storing it up. So that when I get there, we can meet, we can talk about the needs, and then we can set aside money that we might take to Jerusalem to help out some brothers and sisters who are struggling. So here's the first thing. Biblical stewardship, according to this council, should include a consistent pattern of giving. Consistent. Um, We're going to talk in a little bit about growing in generosity. Um, And so a person comes and says, I'm up to here in debt, um, and, and we can't even afford to pay the mortgage. Um, should we just neglect all of our bills and just give 10% to God and see what happens? Um, as a church, we would, we would respond to that with, with a conversation about stewardship. That stewardship leads to generosity. Generosity doesn't lead to stewardship. Stewardship leads to generosity, not the other way around. If we start with just generosity, what we'll end up doing most often is finding ourselves in deeper debt than when we started. If you're helping people on a credit card, okay, goodwill, good intentions, helping somebody out in need with money on a credit card, you're helping them with money you don't have. And so we could get into an in-depth conversation about now that is actually going to have interest tacked onto it. So what would have cost you $100 is now going to cost you $180 by the time you pay it off. Okay, not good stewardship. Generosity without stewardship is not healthy, it's not good, and it's not biblical. And so we want to start with stewardship, managing well what God has provided for us, that we might become generous people. So somebody says, man, I can only afford to give $5 to support God's ministry. It's not 10%, but if I give more, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to default on this loan, or they're going to lose the house, or I'm going to, you know, the IRS, or whatever it might be. We say this, be consistent. Let there be a consistent pattern in what you do between you and God before the Lord in terms of giving. And here, clearly, he's calling the church to be consistent on the first day of the week. Now, that was Sunday, um, understandably, when the church met in the New Testament, the Lord's Day, the day he resurrected. Biblical stewardship should include a consistent pattern of giving. Now, that being said, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to go 1 through 7. So just flip to the right in your Bible, and we'll, we'll land in 8 and 9 here, chapter 8 and chapter 9, for the remainder of our time. All right, verse 1 of chapter 8, Paul's again writing to the same church, a different letter. He brings it up again. We want you to know, brothers, 
about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And right now, we don't know specifically what he's talking about, but he's, he's, basically he's starting a conversation on financial giving to support the ministry and to support those who are in need. And he's using the word grace. So we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, poverty had, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. What a beautiful depiction of grace-driven generosity. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Verse 6, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. If you're taking notes, biblical stewardship should be motivated by God's grace. It's another one of my hesitations about talking about money, my fear that we would ever become guilt-driven givers. Guilt-driven giving is not biblical. The gospel has come to set us free from guilt so that biblical generosity is grace-driven, joy-filled, thankfully Hand it over. So what does it mean to be grace-driven? Grace-driven begins with an acknowledgement of how God has so freely and richly blessed us. Before we ever get to finances, the sinning of his son, God's most expensive possession, if you want to look at it that way, that he might suffer and die on our behalf, that we could have forgiveness, eternal life in this relationship with God. That should drive our generosity. If we are guilt-driven, what we tend to do then is to think that God will be happy with us once we give enough. Now, this seems kind of silly, but how many of us in our own minds still wrestle with that? I feel guilty. And I hear it often. Somebody will come to me and say, uh, you know, Pastor, I just, you know, I'm struggling right here. I haven't been given. And I see guilt all over the face. And so one of the things I say first and foremost is, well, here's the thing. First of all, you just let me in on something I didn't know. Um, because here at Solid Rock, I don't know who gives what, other than what my family gives. We don't know. And, and we like it that way. That I could get up in front of you and talk, clear conscience. I don't know. I can't ask you this morning to give more money because I don't know what you give. And so I always start there. But here's the thing. Like, the, the point is not that you would be guilt-driven. The, the point I think God would want to make is, like, where is your joy at right now? Let's talk about the grace that he's freely given you. Then from there, let's talk about who we are in Christ and what he calls us to. But let's be free from guilt as we have that conversation. Let's not think that we're somehow paying God back for his forgiveness or trying to earn his favor by climbing up the ladder of becoming a generous person. Grace-driven generosity. Here's another thing. 
Biblical stewardship should include managing your resources well. Managing your resources well. It, it never ceases to um, surprise me in marital counseling. I'll just say it this way. Over the years of doing marital counseling, I can't think of one account, maybe just a few, where money wasn't part of the issue. And anytime money was the issue, I can almost guarantee you there's no budget. No clear idea of what's coming in, what's going out. Just kind of operating by the seat of the pants. Checking the bank account on the cell phone. If there's money there, we spend it. Now, I've lived this way. Okay, I have, and, and many of us have. That's not stewarding well the possessions that God has given us. It's not. Stewarding well means we have a plan. We're looking at it. We're thinking about how can I get out of debt that I might become more generous. That's a, that's a stewardship plan. Not just how can I figure out how to enjoy more of God's blessings, could be part of it, but primarily how can I get out of debt that I might become more generous. That's a stewardship plan. Managing well our finances. And you know, the reality is um, very few people in the room today are debt free. Very few. I, I know a couple just because I know a couple people really well in our church and over the time I've learned that. But it's, it's a really small percentage of believers who are actually debt free. And the vast majority of us are still in this struggle right now, trying to figure out, trying to teach ourselves to say no, right? And teach ourselves the right times to say yes. And if I asked for a show of hands and there was some honesty in the room, right, there'd be a lot going on. Still trying to figure this out, how to say no at the right times and say yes at the right times. Managing well, biblical stewardship includes managing our resources. The next thing is this. Biblical stewardship uh, includes generous giving proportionate to one's ability. It's come up twice already this morning. Back in 1 Corinthians 16, what he said then is that we should, on the first day of every week, each of you should put something aside and store it up as he may prosper in proportion to how you're prospering. Here he says it this way. They, verse 3, he says, For they gave according to their means. It was the beginning of generosity, as I can testify. And some of them even beyond their means of their own accord. Um, this was the idea of the tithe in the Old Testament, that it be proportionate. Okay, Now, proportionate both in individual giving, but also proportionate in ministry. And so the tithe in the Old Testament was given to the church to fund the ministry and take care of the Levites. These were uh, the tribe who weren't allowed to take possession of land, and, and to go out and make a living, therefore. And so the other tribes took care of them, and they took care of the ministry. Okay, It's an Old Testament principle. And you gave in proportion to how the Lord had prospered or blessed. Uh, and so we see this same calling here from Paul's instructions. Like He's not calling us to irresponsible, frivolous, uh, debt-invoking generosity, but he's saying this, your giving should be generous, right? Not just um, chump change, not just a token in the offering box so that we can say we gave something, but there truly, truly should be a sense of generosity in the hearts of the saints. Why? Because we've been 
given to freely. There should be a freeness to the way we take care of the needs of others. Generously. But in proportion to the way we've been blessed. So, this is where we find uh, the lady who gave all that she had in the Gospels. Maybe you remember this account. And Jesus talks about how she gave more than anybody else. Why? Because proportionately, she had given more than anybody else. So you got a person who's making 50 bucks a week. and says, I'm going to live off of 95 and I'm going to tithe $5. That gift is greater than the person who makes $5,000 a week and wants to give 50, which is 1%. Proportionate. There should be a proportion to how we give. Not only that, I love uh, the way that Paul expressed this in verse 5. Biblical stewardship should reflect a commitment to the Lord before a commitment to his church. Um, this, this drives our philosophy on how we do offerings here at the church. We try to say this every week. Um, we don't pass offering plates around um, for this primary reason. We want your giving to be between you and the Lord as best we can. At Solid Rock, there are less than there are two people in our church who actually know what people give. Even our money counters rotate week in, week out, so that we, we try to keep a sense of this is between you and the Lord as best we can so that you're able to allow this to be a personal time of worship. So that's why we do that at the offering boxes. We love when families um, do this together or stop and pray. Um, You'll see families do that from time to time, maybe go to the counseling rooms or come to the front or go to the back. You don't have to do that, but that's a beautiful expression of biblical giving when we say, God, this is, I'm giving to you first and foremost. This is what he says in verse five. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. First to the Lord. You can always tell when somebody's given to the church before they're given to God. Uh, there's, well, not always, but times you can, uh, because there seems to be strings attached. When people give in a way that they, they want to control and manipulate what is done, um, there, there can be this indication that it's giving to the church before we're giving to God. Um, you know, I gave such and such money to the church, and so I say we buy green carpet. I always use carpet as an example because it's one of the most ridiculous examples I've ever seen of a church splitting, but it happens. I give a lot of money to this church. Therefore, I should have a louder voice in this church on the color of carpet that we buy. Really? Giving to the Lord before you give to the church. I would say this. If you're not giving to the Lord, don't give here. If you're just giving out of guilt or you're trying to just support the church and there's no relationship with the Lord, don't give here. Truly. Biblical stewardship should reflect a commitment to the Lord before a commitment to his church. Verse 6, biblical stewardship should be something a believer grows in. And uh, there is this word excel that came up at the end. This idea that you start with where you're at, but we don't let where we are at become an excuse. Um, I used to think I was, um, I used to pat myself on the back and think I was a generous giver until I began to learn these um, under the surface, behind the scenes stories of givers at different churches where um, wealthy people who had started at 10% had now worked their way up to like 30% and their goal was to get to a place where they lived off of 10 and gave away 90 like, I hear those stories and, and meet those men and women and think, whoa, I'm a chump change giver compared to that. 
that I might get to the place where I'm stewarding well the resources God has given me, that I don't require as much, that I might bless others more generously. I mean, who in here doesn't wish that they had more to give away? We see the Philippines video, or you watch a commercial on TV, or you meet somebody in need, and you think, gosh, I wish I had more, because I would love to help, right? Well, the only way you get there is by stewarding well what you already have, that you might excel, grow in your ability to be generous with others. Biblical stewardship should be something that a believer grows in. Biblical stewardship should also include helping others who are in need. Um, This is referred to as the relief of the saints. That was a phrase we just read. That's the idea. So we have believers in the churches who are struggling. And you see local congregations trying to take care of the needs of the believers. But there were certain areas at this time that were, um, were subject to extreme poverty. So even within the resources of that church, they weren't able to help all who were afflicted by poverty. And so churches then began helping other churches out, helping others who were in need. Um, you see some first examples of this early on in the church in Acts 2. Um, it's a beautiful example of this. As soon as the church begins to come together after Pentecost, listen to the couple of verse description here in Acts 2, verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And to explain that, Luke, who's writing this account in verse 45, says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So here's what's happening. They were looking around at the things that they don't need anymore and looking at people who don't have, who need, and saying, You know what? I could do without this. I'm going to sell these things. I'm going to get rid of this stuff. I'm going to make some cuts here. Now, it If they had made too many cuts or given away too much, then they themselves would have become in need and then become a burden to the church. This is what Paul's writing about in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So it's not the idea that you give everything away because God's blessed you and given you resources to take care of you. Work hard. Manage well so you can take care of yourself and your family. However, take a step back then. Once you're taken care of, mouths are fed, everything's being managed well, and say, you know what, who needs around here? And what do I have maybe that I don't necessarily need that I might become more generous. And so they looked around and said, we can sell some stuff so this family can eat. I can do without my cable TV. There's a modern-day example. I sure wish I could help you out, but I'm just tapped right now because we have the the big package on cable. We could cut back to this base package, which would save us 30 a month. And you know what? I I I could sponsor a Compassion International child. I'm just giving you tangible examples of how this could look for us. Don't go home feeling guilty because you have cable. Not guilt-driven, grace-driven. But there's just a practical example how you could emulate what we're reading about here. It continues on two chapters later in Acts 4, another expression of this. Starting in verse um, 32, we'll put this on the screen, you don't have to turn there. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They were practicing this, this idea that, you know what, this really doesn't belong to me. God has just blessed me with this, with temporary stewardship, whatever it is, whether it's an income, a piece of land. And so they, they realized that, they recognized that. You know what, this isn't really mine. If you don't have enough, why don't you come plant on my land? Why don't we share with you what actually belongs to the Lord anyway? 
Nothing belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, verse 33, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Just want to make this note. I asked myself for a long time, why is that verse in there, in the midst of this stewardship passage? Because stewardship freed the apostles up to do the ministry. They weren't getting bogged down at this point with making sure everybody got fed. The church was doing that. So the apostles were able to commit themselves to this life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus that drives us with grace to be generous. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. It's a beautiful example. Now, in uh, the modern-day church context, we call this the general fund. Um, the way that the, the, the saints come together, we collect money the first day of the week. That money then goes into a budget, a responsible church budget that's stewarded well by a finance team that's overseen by our elders. There's a checks and balances all over the place. No one person ever touches money by themselves. No one person spends money by themselves. It's a complete accountable system of stewardship here. But you see what happens is if, if all we do is just give specifically to things, we end up with a disproportionate ministry. And the, the needs that are most visible tend to get more income than those that maybe are less visible. I'll say it right now. A lot of um, the way the benevolence team works behind the scenes, the needs really aren't even known to the whole church. But the benevolence team is able to, to work with people on an individual basis, spend time with them, find out what's going on, share the gospel, pray with them, and, and, and then allow us as a church to meet their needs. But if all you did was give to the benevolent ministry... Right? It would be disproportionate. I was sharing this with, um, you know, with the staff, this, this last, or somebody on staff, we were talking about this, um, how generous the church has been the last couple of weeks with youth camp, kids camp, the Philippines trip. Um, just such a blessing to see your hearts overwhelmed with God's grace in such a way. Um, but then we took a step back and said, but, and I just gave a practical example, I said, but if all we do is just give to the visible needs, then what do we do the rest of the year? The kids have a great camp. They come back from camp. There's no youth ministry for them to come back to. And so we were so blessed here to have a stewardship team, a finance team. You know we're debt-free right now as a church, by the way. What what great freedom we have to steward well the blessings God has given. As we collect, we bring these things before the Lord and say, God, this is your gift. I trust the church that you set up, the volunteers you set up to, to manage this well, that we might be a blessing to our community, to the nation's to the ends of the earth. And I always have to challenge my heart on that when I'm giving to things specifically. Am I just giving because this need is visible? Because there are needs below the surface that I'm not aware of. And so there's just something for us to, to be challenged by. Did you see what the, the apostles were doing? They were distributing as any had need. They were able to look at the whole picture to collect and to disperse proportionately. Stewardship. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, verse 37, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Just a tangible example. Luke says, let me just give you one example. Barnabas, this is what he did. He had an extra field. He sold it and brought it to the church and said, here, I know there are needs. I can see them. You guys distribute this and make sure people are taken care of. Church finance is 101 here. Now, um, and, and I realize that in our contemporary 
church, culture, this, this is abused. Oh, it is. And, and so I'm going to say a couple of things, and then I'm going to come back to that thought, okay? Biblical stewardship should include helping others who are in need, okay? Helping others who are in need. We'll come back to that thought. This last thing from this passage, we'll read a few more verses. Of biblical stewardship should be sacrificial. Not so sacrificial that you become the financial burden, but sacrificial in a sense that you're willing to give up for those who don't have on some, on some level. Now going on to verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is a, is a, uh, a couple of verses that, that tend to get hijacked to justify um, people who say that they're believers in Christ and followers of Jesus to indulge themselves in a lot. See, right here. We're just told right here that we might, if we're Christians, we'll be rich. God wants us to be rich. In order to be rich, I need to not give away as much. I need to keep for myself because that's what God gave it to me for. Um, not realizing that what Paul just did is, is, this doesn't have anything to do with money. Jesus leaving heaven to become poor among us was not about money. It was about him leaving his authority and his glory behind. And on some levels, his, his public identity to humble himself as a servant. To say, you know what, I'm willing to give up that you might have. That's a principle we learn from Jesus coming to earth, making himself poor. What did we gain from him doing that? Grace. A grace that comes through faith. A grace that wipes away sin, removes guilt, and sets captives free. This, this verse really isn't about money. It's a principle that drives our understanding of money. This should be reflected in our stewardship, spiritual principles. Biblical stewardship should reflect spiritual priorities. Um, just to let you know, if you come to me for financial counseling, one of the first things I'm going to ask you to do is bring your bank statement. Um, bank statements don't lie. And, uh, and, and so I think it's a great place to start. Is to say, Let's just look where our priorities are. Let's, let's sketch it out. One of the tools on our stewardship um, spreadsheet is it, by percentages, tells you where your money is going categorically so you can just see the full picture. And then we give you some examples of healthy percentage slots where things should be. In other words, what is your house cost? Utility bills, mortgage, all that, in proportionate to what your car costs or what your health care costs. You can see all that. Spiritual priorities should be reflected in, in, our, in, our, in our monthly budgets. should be. And I think that this, what Paul is saying here is this, that spiritual realities should drive, spiritual priorities should drive our stewardship. Um, where, our, uh, where our treasure is, that's, that's where you're going to find our hearts, is what Jesus teaches. How you're stewarding the treasures that God has blessed you with will reveal something about your heart and not my heart. We can say, I don't live for myself, but our bank statement might say otherwise. <laughs> For a person who says that you don't live for yourself, you sure just spend a lot of money on yourself proportionately. Does that mean I can't ever get a haircut? And no, just saying proportionately that we look at things and we steward well. We're enjoying what God intended for us to enjoy, but we're also able to be generous with what God intended us to be generous with. Biblical stewardship should reflect spiritual priorities. Verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you 
who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. He's going back a year ago. Remember when they got started on collecting money and being generous? A year ago you started this, but not only that, you, were, you desired to do it. Verse 11, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Anybody ever started good and not finished well? I'm not just in giving, just anything. The laundry, right? I mean, we, we're not great finishers. We're really good starters. And in this particular conversation, he's talking about financial giving. Remember a year ago, you started this, you desired to start this. I'm not, all I'm saying is you complete what you committed to. Your abundance, actually, uh, verse 11. So now finish doing it well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Again, at this church, we have digital ways you can give. We will never take tithes and offerings with a credit card as long as, as, long as uh, I'm alive. I'll say it that way. As long as I'm pastoring here and as long as these elders elder here. We believe it. We're, we're convinced in that. You do not go into debt to be generous. You get out of debt so you can be generous, okay? Keeping your commitments. Biblical stewardship includes, includes keeping financial commitments. Um, Jesus teaches this. It's, it's recorded um, this way in Matthew 22 or Mark 12. Uh, the Pharisees come to him, as they always do, and they start with this real flattering statement. Jesus, we know you don't care what people think, so w- we trust that you'll give us a good answer. And they ask him a question basically about paying taxes, So they give him permission to say, forget Caesar, don't pay him anything. We know you don't care about what people think. We have a question for you. Should should we give to Caesar? Should we pay our taxes? And Jesus says what? Bring me a coin. Whose picture is on it? What does that money reflect? It reflects the government right? that's over, governing over those people civilly. And Jesus says, you pay to Caesar what is Caesar's? But you also pay to God what is God's. Keeping both your spiritual commitments, but your secular ones as well. If you made a commitment to a mortgage company to pay off a car with everything that you can, do that. Now, you might get to a place where it's over the top. Seek counsel and figure out a way to sell it or to, uh, to refinance, not so that you can go spend more money, but so you can consolidate debt and get out of. You've got to be careful there. Sometimes we consolidate debt to free up more spending room to go get in more debt. Uh, but you look at it as a steward and say, I'm going to do my best as best I can. Okay? I understand we get in situations sometimes where we just can't keep our commitments and we have to let the house go or let the car go. Um, but that only is um, permissible after we've exhausted every attempt to pay. Taxes. Absolutely. We should pay taxes. Do I love the way our taxes are being spent? I don't. I really don't. However, I have an obligation. And Jesus said, you pay to Caesars with Caesars. You fulfill your obligations to moneylenders, to the government. You don't like it, move, move to a different government where the taxes are less. But, but you, you keep your obligations, but you also keep your commitments, as he's talking about specifically here, to the ministry of God's kingdom. Finish well what you started well. Um, I'll just say this too. All my pet peeves are coming out of the closet today. 
Um, most of us at the first of the year, when uh, we, we make our resolutions, we make these big grand commitments, and this is where we're like fantastic starters. We're going to get in shape. And I'm always skeptical of New Year's resolutions, by the way. So if you tell me yours next January and I, and I don't look at you with excitement, I'm doubting you. I'll just tell you right now. I'm doubting you. I won't say it then. I'm just telling you now. We're seven months out. I'm just doubting that you're going to finish. Now, if you come to me in August and say, I got a membership at a gym and I'm going to start working out and getting healthy, then I'm more apt to believe that you're going to follow through. One of my pet peeves about churches, here they come, I'm laying it out there for you, is when churches jump on that first of the year commitment and start doing these big tithing or giving sermon series right out of the gate the first part of the year. For me, I just, I'm not good, personally, I'm not good with it, okay? I'm not casting judgment on the other church. I'm just not good with, with manipulating or um, taking advantage of good intentions. I appreciate what Paul says here. Finish well what you started well. I've said this before here. You know what I would rather you do? Just decide what you're going to give and just give it. You can tell me, just right? Don't, don't just start big and then uh, taper off. And this is, goes beyond giving, right? This goes with serving, volunteering. God's calling me to go, this happens almost every year with one of our big trips. I think God's calling me to go to the Philippines trip. It's why Jeff and I are pushing, make a step of commitment now. Why? Because those good intentions are prone to what? To crash. And then we look at ourselves two weeks out from the trip next year going, I wish I would have started saving. I wish I'd have started. I felt like God wanted me to go. And so what Paul is saying is, finish well what you start. Keeping your financial commitments. Verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased by your burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. Did you catch what he's saying? Let's don't just do a wealth distribution here where those who don't have anything and are suffering, we take money from those who are doing well so that now they start suffering and give it to these other people. Wealth distribution. It's not what he's saying here. He says, but a matter of fairness, that your abundance at the present time could supply those who don't have. Supply their need. Verse 15, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. He's saying we should, we should illustrate that in the church. All right, biblical stewardship is about those who have plenty, if you're taking notes, plenty, taking care of those who do not have enough. Not wealth distribution, and it's not the wealthy preying on the poor. I've had enough of it. Okay, I've had enough of it. Um, I, have a, I have a granny, uh, God bless her soul, she's a believer, she's a follower in Jesus, she's still alive, uh, upper 80s, and uh, she has been sowing into a ministry under the promise that she was going to reap and become wealthy for decades. And this ministry that she's been sowing into, I have yet to see lift a hand, an expression of gratitude, Come see her. Matter of fact, if she wants to see them, she has to travel a long way to one of the conferences to see them. She's faithful. She bought in hook, line, and sinker. And to this day is holding on to that promise. That's why God has me alive. It's not done yet. Yeah, absolutely true. Still, still waiting, though. Waiting to reap. I've been sowing for years. And I look at those ministries. I don't have the heart to tell her. I don't. But I look at some of those ministries and I think, man, how many jets is too many? How many, how many pieces of property, personal property, are too many? Like, I don't know 
the exact line where salaries should cut off for those in ministry, but I can tell when it's, in my opinion, over the line. Okay? Enough. It's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about the wealthy preying on the poor. Matter of fact, I'll say this. Um, just be cautious with my words. I actually heard another preacher say this, so I'll use it, and if you don't like it, you can blame him. If somebody invites you to sow into their ministry instead of sowing into the kingdom of God, I would be skeptical. There's a difference between sowing into a person's ministry and sowing into the kingdom. Okay, let's leave that one alone before I go off on a rant. Verse 16. But thanks be to God who put into the hearts of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you on his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace, this financial uh, distribution. We're going to come and collect money. Paul's saying, but I'm not coming by myself. I'm not sending Titus by himself. There's going to be accountability here. Verse 19, and not only that, but we have been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Verse 20, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. Nobody would blame us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only to, in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have tested and found earnest in many matters but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you. Three words here if you're taking notes. Biblical stewardship should first of all be earnest. Did you hear how many terms earnest came up there? Titus is earnest. This brother is earnest. What does that mean to be earnest? It means to be sincere. Going back to what? Grace-driven, joy-filled, thankful giving. Earnest, sincere. But not only that, excellent. What does it mean by excellent stewardship or excellent giving? Um, you personally may be getting by financially, and, and I don't know. Like Some of you are like, how did you know? I don't know. I just I meet with a lot of people. And I also know my own struggles. Even those of us who may be getting by well, we don't need, we're, getting, we're managing well, um, I would challenge us to consider whether or not we're being excellent stewards. Because the, last, the third blank is this, um, transparency. Now, I'm not saying you need to publish your bank statements and send them around to the church so everybody can hold you accountable. Um, but I'll say this, if you're in a marriage and there isn't 100% transparency between the two of you where money is being spent, you've got issues. Okay? You've got issues. And if you need help, somebody to come in and to help you get on track, you're going to have to be transparent so they can help you become sincere and excellent in your stewardship. Um, as a church, I had mentioned earlier, transparency, accountability. That's what Paul, that's what the whole, I believe that whole section of verses is saying. We went to every extreme to make sure that nobody abused anything that was given. He listed out the brothers who came. 
And he said, these guys are repre- they're partners with me. They're representatives of the church. These men are going to make sure that what you give ends up where you intend for it to end up. Accountability, transparency, stewardship. And it must be earnest, must be excellent and transparent. That's true for us individually, but it's also true for us as a church. Verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Well, right there, right? If I give a bunch of money, I'm going to get a whole bunch of money. And, what, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give us as he has decided in his heart, as he has committed in his heart, based on what? How much you can, right? Take an honest look at what you have, how you've prospered. Make a decision, not reluctant or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. We've heard that before. Joy-filled giving. You know why God loves a cheerful giver? Because a cheerful giver has found a joy in the presence of the Lord that allows that person to let go of earthly possessions. If you're cheerful about letting go, you've found something better in life. And if you're a Christian, you've found Christ. That's why God loves the cheerful giver. You ever think of it that way? Because when you're a cheerful giver, it it reveals where your treasure is. I can give cheerfully, joyfully. Because my joy is in him. You want to reap a bunch so you can sow a bunch? Trust in Christ and reap an eternal life. Skip over earthly wealth and go to what really matters. Biblical stewardship is a personal commitment to joyful giving. Not reluctant, not hesitant, not guilt-driven. Um, let's, uh, let's hit a few more verses in chapter 9. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Do you see that? You will be enriched, blessed in every way. Why? So you can be generous in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Because you give for that reason, it's going to end in thanksgiving. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Look at verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Whose gift? His gift. So let's just track through that real quick. Biblical stewardship leads to, moves us to God's provision. Did you know that God hasn't promised to provide for you if you're wasteful? This is a goofy thing that the church bought into. Um, Anyway, I don't have time for another soapbox. I'm in debt. I can't figure out how to get out of debt. So instead of paying off my debt, I'm just going to go give 10% and expect him to give me back hundred, you know, tenfold, and then I'll be able to pay off my debt. So rather than keeping my commitments on faith, I'm just going to give to God. 
And so you get into these, yeah, God's going to pay me back tenfold. So I put ten in the box if I want to get a hundred. Biblical stewardship leads to God's provision in your life. That's what Malachi is all about. When God says, test me in this, a literal translation is that God will supply until there is no need. Biblical stewardship leads to God's provision in our lives. Many of us, many of us, not all of us, but many of us who are struggling right now financially, we can look at God and go, why aren't you providing more for me? But the truth of the matter is he's already provided enough. We just haven't managed well. This is, what, this is the train of thought. Biblical stewardship leads to God's provision. God's provision leads to generous living. You show me a man or woman who is generous in the kingdom of God according to these principles, and I'll show you a man or woman who stewards well God's provisions. Every time. Stewardship leads to provision. Provision leads to generosity. And I love where it ends according to what we just read. Generous living ends in God's glory. God's glory. I don't believe that me uh, living irresponsibly and giving money away and not stewarding it well ends in God's glory. Whether I give a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, whatever it is. If I'm not stewarding well, starting there, I'm not bringing glory to God. Because stewarding well means this I acknowledge that God has only given me temporary possession. And that I'm to look at what I actually need and compare it to what he's given me so that I'm able to be generous. That in the end, it might end in his glory. I want to end with a couple of questions um, for you just to ponder. And for all of you, those of you who um, uh, maybe God has awakened something in you today and you're thinking, man, I really need to get on top of this. Okay, fantastic. Let's don't wait for New Year's resolution. Um, respond to how God's speaking to you. And as a church, we want to supply to you any kind of help or counsel we can to help you get on the right track. Our benevolence team will be glad to help you look at your finances and, and, and to get on track. Our elders will be glad to do that as well. We're providing tools for you that you might become good stewards, acknowledgers that, that God provides well. Not so that we can become rich as a church, but that you might become generous as a giver out of joy and thanksgiving and sincerity resulting in God's glory. There, I said it. Um, here's the two questions I want you to ponder. How is God challenging you and or your family to pursue biblical stewardship? This wasn't comprehensive. This was a lot, but there's a lot more to be learned. But in what ways is God challenging you right now in terms of stewardship? How you're managing? What you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to? And then this last question, in what ways would biblical stewardship, if you truly put these principles in place, in what ways would it free you up to be more generous? Who among us doesn't want to be more generous? I want you just to wrestle through those two questions as our worship team comes back up. I'm going to pray for us and you and, uh, and ask that God would uh, keep working. Now that he stirred this topic up, that he would keep working in our lives um, to truly set us free and set us on a right trajectory to healthy stewardship. Um, Father, thank you for being generous with us. And God, we realize that uh, this conversation is less about money and more about spiritual matters. Um, Jesus, you taught us that um, our treasures here on earth will reflect the depths of who we are and what we love. And so today, you've confronted us to take a deep look at ourselves, um, to think about where, what it is 
that we truly love, where it is we truly invest. And so this morning, God, I ask that you would complete the work that you started. I just have a sense, God, that some among us truly need some help, some counsel, some encouragement uh, to, to become better stewards. And God, I pray as a church that we could be faithful to meet those needs. Um, others among us have realized for some time that we've just we've been blessed well. We just cease to be generous. And so today is not a, a fundraiser day. It's a day of getting priorities straight. And so God, for those of us who are there, I pray you would meet us and show us how to give cheerfully um, by, by letting go of things that don't matter and taking hold of things that do. God, right now, I just want to end by praying for any person here who doesn't know you personally. For that person, giving things away doesn't make sense, and we understand that. But this morning, God, I want that person to hear that we don't give to you to make you happy or earn your favor or to pay you back. We give because, first of all, you have given so richly to us. And so for that person who doesn't know you today, I pray that by faith, they would receive the forgiveness and grace that come through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That today, by approaching you, they would receive the forgiveness of sins by praying in their own heart, God, please forgive me. Father, we turn this time over to you. We pray in Jesus' powerful name.